Hello and welcome to the Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 14. This month we are going to return to the Havamal. We took a little break last month, but we're, we're back to the Havamal for this month and we will finish it eventually. I don't know if next month we'll keep with the Havamal or do something new. I'll just kind of see what we're feeling like. I think it's nice to kind of break it up once in a while. Anyway, with that short little introduction, I want to remind everybody that they can go to the website at www.hugenhoff.org to download the podcasts. And if you had any questions or uh, just anything to say at all, please feel free to give me an email at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com or just podcast at hugenhoff.org. With that said, I would like to welcome Lore once again. How are you doing, Lore? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. But I did want to mention to everybody, everyone should check out the webpage if you have not already. It has been updated and it looks fantastic. Indeed, it does. And who do we have to thank for that? Uh, my lady friend. And you. Well, mostly your lady friend. She actually uh, made a very nice website. I think it looks um, a little more modern than the last podcast, but it is very clean, and I love clean websites. I don't like clutter, even though that's popular these days. I don't even like multiple columns, and uh, she really made the website look like I wanted it to look. Um, so yeah, check it out, if nothing else, then if for no other reason than to just look at the new design and see what it looks like. Okay, now, the last episode we had made, or uh, the last Havamaw episode, we had made it to stanza 26. So that is where we are going to start today, and I'll just go ahead and jump right in it. I am on the sacredtexts.com site this time, and of course that is in the show notes. Um... It is pretty much like the book I was reading, which I believe is also linked in the show notes. You can find it on Amazon.com as an ebook, uh, but the sacred text one seems to be just about the same, and it's free, so that's always a plus. All right, so 26 starts with, An ignorant man thinks that all he knows when he sits by himself in a corner, but never what answers he to make he knows when others with questions come. And, Lore, if you ever like the Hollander translation better, which I believe you're reading, just um, let me know, and, and we'll read that stanza as well. Can I read it? Because <laughs> I did it. not like the way that sounded. Uh, the unwise man weans he knows all, if from harm he is far at home, but knows not ever what answers to make when others ask him aught. Okay, so I guess this is kind of talking about, anyway, the way I'm taking it is it's talking about, it's easy when you're at home to think that you know everything, and lots of people fall into the trap of being know-it-alls. They, they think that they know everything, and, and, and they just think they know all the answers, but it turns out that when other people ask him questions, maybe he doesn't know all the answers. So, I guess it's twofold what's going on here. One is a warning not to not to be a know-it-all. Don't necessarily think that you know everything. Because in all likelihood, you probably don't. 
And I think the second thing it could be hinting at is just because you've got some friend who talks about how he knows everything in the world doesn't necessarily mean he really does or she really does. It just means they think they do, so don't just assume that everything they think is true. But I think the big thing here is it's easy to think think you know everything if you want to think that. It's easy to just ask yourself questions that you already know the answer to and pretend like you're super smart because you know the answer. But you have to challenge yourself to ask different questions. And I do think it's useful to have friends to ask you different questions so you can really start learning things instead of just trying to make yourself feel smarter. I also see that it could be that uh, if from harm he is far at home, you know, he thinks he knows it all because he has no experience. That's how I almost read the uh, second part of it. Yeah, um, I think that actually also makes an, makes a lot of sense. Um, when you haven't seen the world, it's easy to think that you know everything about it. Um, you know, put things in these theoretical terms. You can convince yourself... You can just look at a person and know if they're good or bad. You can convince yourself you know what love is and, and all these other things. But when you get out into the world, it actually becomes a lot more complex. And that sort of pairs nicely with some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier when it says uh, dull wit will do at home. And it sort of talks about some of the advantages to traveling and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I think that is it's definitely in there as well. Okay, I think I'm going to move on to 27. It says, A witless man, when he meets with men, had best in silence abide. For no one shall find that nothing he knows, if his mouth is not open too much. But a man he, but a man knows not, if nothing he knows, when his mouth has been open too much. That little second part there, yeah. at the end, that is not in the Hollanders. I mean, okay. Again, this is my one of my favorites, and it is used a lot even in our culture, uh, if you listen to what it's actually saying. Um, if you don't mind, I will read the Hollanders as well. Um, yes, do that, but before you do that, there is a note on the last two mo lines in mind that says the last two lines were probably added as a commentary on lines three and four. Okay. So it looks like it's parenthetical as well. Uh, go ahead and read yours. The unwise man, among others who comes, let him be sparing of speech, for no one knows that not is in him, but he opens his mouth too much. I love it. Uh, I think everyone knows what I'm referring to when I say this, though. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know... Shoot, how does the phrasing go? Because I don't know the phrasing off the top of my head right now, but I, I do know that this uh, is very congruous to what I'm thinking of. Well, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing. It's it's almost a funny twist on it, but there's mm -hmm. a, a kind of smart aleck saying that goes, um, it's better to keep your mouth... I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's like, it's better to... Keep oh, your mouth... Oh, do you have it? Yes, it's better to keep your mouth shut... Or, it's better to be thought of a fool than open your mouth and prove it. Yeah, something along those lines. Basically saying, it's better to have people think you're dumb than to open your mouth and prove them right. 
type of thing. It, there's a t-shirt that has it on it, and it puts it in a funnier way than that, because it's a little more smooth. But, you know, it... I guess it's kind of a good point. I mean, if you're a dumb person, people may or may not think that, but there's no reason to talk and prove everybody right. What I want to say is I don't think the point of this is, oh, it's no big, it's just fine to be a dumb person who never bothers to learn anything, just don't talk. The point of it is more, maybe in certain situations, if you don't know things, don't just go talking like you do know things, and the underlying meaning would probably be, don't put yourself in this situation, actually take time to learn things, and don't be the dumb guy. And I think that's sort of a theme through this <clears throat> ignorant man and witless man section of the Havamaw here. It's not really looking at them in a positive light. It's kind of saying, you shouldn't be the dumb person. You should be the one that actually knows things. And granted, you can't know everything about everything. There's only so much knowledge you can have. But you should still strive to be as intelligent as possible and understand the world to the greatest extent possible. And I think it's also saying that you are not a productive member when you don't know anything. Uh, you're not even allowed to speak, basically. I guess you can speak. It's just said it would be silly to speak. Oh, yeah. Because no one will listen to you. Right. Now, I think the next one is kind of going along the same lines. 28 says, uh, where is it? Why shall he seem who well can question, and also answer well? Not as concealed that men may say, among the sons of men. I'm just reading that one again to myself. Yeah, that last bit of phrasing is different than what I have. What's your last bit of phrasing? Because that is a little unclear. Uh, let me just go ahead and read the whole thing, just so we can get through Okay. Uh, cle clever is he who is keen to ask, and eke to answer all men. Tis hard to hide from the hearing of men what is on everyone's lips. Hmm. Well, I, I think there's definitely two parts to it. The first part seems a little more straightforward, so I'll start there. You will seem wise if you're able to question well. Mm -hmm. So, when you're trying to learn something, it doesn't necessarily help to ask every question. It helps to ask the right questions. And you will seem more wise if you know, if you can determine what is important and what is not important. Also, when people ask you questions, you need to answer well and don't answer with a bunch of frivolous stuff that doesn't really matter. And I know myself, I fall into this trap sometimes. Somebody will ask something and I'll I'll throw all this extra stuff in that isn't really necessary to the answer. But the best way to do it, the way I try to do it as well, is to answer with what is necessary and, and what's, um, oh, what's the word, relevant. I think the next part is also, I'm not quite well, as confident as it, but... Let it, me... Oh, Let ahead. me stop you there because I want to. I want to talk about the first part because the okay. way you're reading the phrasing on on the uh, sacred text has a completely kind of different way of feeling than the uh, Hollander's version. Uh, when I read "clever is he who is keen to ask," to me that personally just means I am willing to ask. I I strive 
to ask questions about everything. It's not a specific, uh, uh, only smart questions will I ask. This is just I'm willing to ask questions about all. And then the next part that says, and eek to answer all men, I am willing to also try to find those answers for others, but I think it's also inclusive into oneself. So you ask the questions and you also strive to answer them for yourself and others. That's that, the way I'm reading it. It seems different than the sacred text, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, it seems to be a slightly different emphasis, I suppose. I think what both of them are saying is you do seem more wise when you ask questions. Or maybe a better way to put that is you will become more wise when you ask questions. The sense of don't be afraid to ask questions. And also don't be afraid to answer and, you know, try to help other people by answering the questions that they ask you. And when you say uh, ask questions and answer questions, I don't necessarily think that is saying completely externally. This is an internal thing, at least the first part very much so in my opinion. The second part, obviously, when you include other people, will have to be external but I, I see this as a very extra, uh, internal exercise. Okay, I could see that. And even with the sacred text one, it does say, why shall he seem who well can question and also answer well? And you're right, it doesn't actually say who well can question other people. So, yeah, I think it is probably both an internal and an external thing. Being forced to ask other people as well as yourself and answer other people as well as yourself. Just the basic quest for knowledge is in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Now the next part that says, not is concealed that men may say among the same, the sons of men, I don't know exactly what that's getting at. I was thinking maybe it's saying people can't hide their secrets if you constantly question them. And so for an example, to make it clearer, if if somebody's starting a cult, let's say, and they're like, I need all your money to pay for the spaceship, or, you know, something ridiculous, people may buy that if they just hear it stated over and over and over again. But if one person says, well, why do you need a spaceship? And this person isn't really going to probably be able to have a good answer they're not going to be able to hide the fact that they're a con artist because you're constantly saying, why do you need to do this? Why are you really saying this? And everybody, not just you, but everybody around, as you continue to ask those questions and probably get some propaganda answer, is going to start saying, well, maybe, maybe this guy really isn't legitimate. Yeah, it's just a... Uh... The continual strive, striving for knowledge also can eke out any's who, any who are giving falsehoods. Right. And if, if, you, if everyone stays silent and does not ask questions, uh, then these falsehoods may not be discovered, even if everyone is suspicious. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of think that's part of what it's getting at. And uh, you, you can kind of see that mentality... Have, let's say at least should be mirrored in something like the press. I mean, 
I'm not going to get into the politics. I do have a lot of problem <laughs> with the press. But, you know, in the Constitution, one of the, here in America, obviously, that's where I'm coming from, one of the things that, that we say is the government's basically not allowed to inhibit the press from doing stuff. And I think you see it in other countries around the world as well, where they're like, you know, the, you want freedom of the press so the press can ans ask the right questions. Because if the politicians were trying to pull the wool over our eyes, the press would come in and on TV in front of everybody say, hey, politician, why are you doing this? These two things that you say aren't really jiving up. What's really going on there? It makes the people think. And I mean, if you look at people who listen to alternative media where those questions really are being asked you know on a weekly basis or whatever they start to really question the government too they're like you know i'm not saying this is or is not the case but maybe they have a point this theory that they have every time it's brought up even though rarely they capture it on tape and you listen to the answers and you're like well maybe maybe this person is doing something a little dishonest and I think that the more we question everything, in this case, the people in charge, the less likely it is they're going to be able to continue to deceive us. So, again, this could develop into a very um, interesting political debate, but I'm not going to do that on the show. I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Okay, so let's move on to 29. It says, often, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, <laughs> often he speaks who never is still with words that win no faith. The babbling tongue, if a bridle it finds not, off for itself sings ill. Mm -hmm. So again, this is the person who rambles on and on. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just <laughs> saying stuff, basically. And it's, it's kind of that, that thing where um, it, maybe you've done something wrong and you start trying to explain yourself and they're like, you're digging your own hole deeper. It's that kind of thing. You know, you keep saying these things that you don't really know about or you're not being honest. And the more you talk, the worse it ends up for you. So here, I think the lesson is if you're going to, and I think this comes up a lot, if you're going to talk, know what you're talking about, and don't try to deceive people, because if you do, you're either going to look like a fool, or you're going to look like a liar. It off for itself sings ill. It does not do you any good to talk about things you don't know, or to talk about things you're doing that are dishonest. It just gets you in more trouble. I think, more succinctly, it would be uh, talk with a purpose. Uh, and do not talk without a purpose. Silence is better than rambling. Yes, yeah. And ironically, I was rambling there a little bit. <laughs> but no, talk with a purpose. I like that. Talk with a purpose is kind of the, you know, couple word answer that you can put to really sum that up. Okay, let's move on to number 30. In mockery, no one a man shall hold, although he fares to the feast. Why seems one oft, if not he is, if not he is asked, and safely his he sits dry skinned. Uh, okay. What does yours say for number thirty? That's a little hard to follow. Okay. No muck make thou of any man, 
though thou comest amongst kinsmen. He knowing weans him, whom no one has asked, and dryshod hies him home. So is, is this saying, don't mock people? Um, hmm. what is, I have a, let's see here, literally remains with him, or remains with his skin dry, having an escaped a shower. This, and safely he sits dry skinned in mine, and what you said in Hollywood. So he doesn't get rained on? Well, maybe it means he's not been out traveling, and it's easy to think, oh, this is just some guy who doesn't really know what he's doing. And you don't, but you don't oh, really know if he's an adventure until you ask. Okay, no, 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 I got it. Uh, don't make fun of a guy uh, just because he's all like messed up or something like that. Um, he probably knows it. You don't have to ask him. You don't have to talk with him. Uh, basically, lend him a hand there at the end. It says help him home, so he's not wet. Okay, rained upon. Okay, that makes sense, and, um, yeah, I guess I was thinking of it the opposite way. If somebody comes and it looks like they're, they don't do any traveling, then don't just make fun of them for it. But I think you may be right in your interpretation. But I think it's still a good point. You shouldn't necessarily, well, you really shouldn't mock people. I understand if you're joking around with your friends, sometimes you make fun of each other. and That's something different. Right, because this is, this is a very uh, statement here that something bad has happened. Don't make right. fun of somebody for something bad. Make, you know, you can be friendly jerky. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. It doesn't say anything about that, but, you know, it's acceptable in our culture. and We know that it's not meant in harm, but they're saying do not mock him as in do not harm harmingly mock somebody for something negative that has happened to them. Right. And I think that makes sense because, again, all of us will have bad things happen to us in our lives. And, I mean, everybody listening, certainly myself included, as well as you, has had a hard time in their life. It doesn't mean that they're dumb or immoral or bad. And, again, like you said, they already know they're having a bad time, so it's not necessary to to mock people and make fun of them. And generally speaking, it's not a good idea to make fun of people just mean-spiritedly like that for no real good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually reminds me of, I think it's called The Quarrel of Loki in um, Hollander's translation. I, I, no... It's called the Quarrel of Loki someplace. In Hollanders, it may be like the Locusanula. I can't pronounce it. Anyway, it's it's a story that everybody certainly knows where Loki bursts into the Feast Hall of the Gods and starts just tearing into them, saying the most mean, hurtful things he possibly can. And things go very poorly for him after that. I mean, it's after that, that that's the last straw that kind of causes him to be bound under the earth and have the venom from the snake drip into his eyes and everything. So, obviously, this isn't quite as severe as that, but still, to mock somebody just to be mean-spirited, I don't think that's ever really a good idea. It's just not a nice thing to do. We should all get along. That would be the 
Locasina, the flitting of Loki. Thank you. I knew I had some weird name. All right, uh, we're actually making good time, I think. Well, uh, you do realize there is like 164 of these. Uh, yeah, but a lot of them get. A lot of them we're not going to really go into because they're like a whole crazy thing I don't even understand myself. I'm sorry, 165. My mistake. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we may have to start something where um, we do like every other show is the have them all. Just because we don't want to, you know, it's it. As much as this is very interesting, and I think everyone should absolutely read it, you don't want to go over just the have them all every single show that you listen to. Hey, it'll certainly make the podcast last longer. Hey, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I always got to look at the bright side. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll end up doing an other every other show sort of format. That's fine by me. It's whatever yeah. works. Okay. I'm not making any promises. I'm just kind of seeing what I feel motivated to talk about from month to month. Um, but I think I may do that. That actually sounds like a good idea. I right. didn't realize it's quite that long. Yep. Yeah, well. All right. Well, let's move on to number 31. It says, Wise a guest holds it to take to his heels when mock of another he makes. But little he knows who laughs at the feast, though he mocks in the midst of his foes. Well, that's kind of got a nice rhyme to it. Um, can you read yours? Uh, yes. I, I was there. I was reading the note that they had below it. Uh, this says, A wise man he who hides him betimes from the man who likes to mock. For at table who teases can never tell what foe he might have to fight. So is this kind of getting at another reason you shouldn't, you know, mock people and make fun of people is because you may end up creating an enemy and then, you know, having to fight that enemy? Well, the way I'm reading this particular one is that a wise man uh, stays away from someone who mocks. For if he teases at the table, you can never tell when you might have to fight him. Because obviously there's negative feelings towards you if he's, you know, generally mocking you in the, you know, not friendly manner. Mm -hmm. So you may have to fight him later. So stay away from him. Oh, okay. Now that you're right, I think that makes that makes more sense. Because the first one was really more about you shouldn't, or thirty was more about you shouldn't mock people. So this is kind of about you shouldn't be around people who mock everybody, especially yourself, because you never know when you'll have to fight that person who mocks you. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that makes sense. Um, you kind of get into the idea of choose your friends wisely. <clears throat> and I, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if this is really what the stands is saying, but it's related, so I'm going to mention it. If you're friends with somebody who mocks you, who mocks people all the time and just makes fun of people in a mean-spirited way, you may actually end up in a fight that you never intended to be in. You know, you go to the... I don't go to the bar ever, but it's a good example. You go to the bar with your buddy, and he calls the biker guy a dumbhead. I'm trying not to cuss on the show, because I think I labeled it as, like friendly or whatever and <laughs> iTunes. So I'm like, I don't I don't know how strict they are about that, so I'm just avoiding 
all the cuss words that I would normally use. But but anyway, you know, you go to the the bar with your friend, and he he calls the big biker guy there a big dumbhead, and the biker guy gets mad, and you know you're with him. You're both going to get in a fight, or if there's a group of biker people, you're going to get beat up as well. So, sure, like this is saying, you should avoid those people who mock you, but you should really avoid people who are likely to get you into a fight as well, I think. Okay. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, 32. Oh, you know what? Oh, I, Sorry. I think you're exactly right, because it reads like that as well. 31 does. So stay away from the people who like to mock, because you don't know who you're going to have to fight with. I'm sorry. That made sense as well. Okay. So maybe it's kind of getting at both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a great thing about the Havamal is, you know, it's really hard to say this stanza definitely means this and that stanza definitely means that. But just reading these things does bring up the inspiration to think about certain points and certain morals. And that in itself is probably a healthy exercise. Just to say, well, what do I think of this? Um, but moving on to 32, we've got Friendly of mine are many men, till feasting they mock at their friends. To mankind a bane must it ever be when guests together strive. I think that's kind of getting at the same thing. Um, this seems to even be saying, you know, all these people might be the type who could get along quite well and be really good friends, till, you know, they start putting each other down, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's a bane to mankind. It's bad for people when the guests strive together and fight together. Even though maybe these people could be friends, you know, you end up insulting each other and, and you can really become enemies when you could have been friends. I'm going to take this a little farther. I think that's what the stance is saying. I think it's also a good idea when you're with your friends to not put them down. And, you know, if your friend is a mechanic... Not just don't mock him. Don't be like, oh, what's going on, Grease Monkey, or some insulting mechanic name. Don't don't do that. But also don't be like, oh, you know, I think it's fine you're a mechanic. You never do any better. That's kind of your place in life. I, there's just a lot of negativity in society in general. And I don't think we should participate in that either or maybe he's a really great mechanic don't be like oh no don't don't try to put that car together you're just gonna mess it up just stick with something easy you'll be better off you know even though that doesn't sound mean it is and i maybe you're doing it for nice reasons you don't want him to get his feelings hurt but i think it's just kind of a good idea to be a little more optimistic and have a little more faith in in your friends and, I suppose, people in general. So, All right, I'm going to move on to 33. Off should one make an early meal, nor fasting come to the feast, else he sits and chews as if he would choke and little is able to ask. Um, I like this one. I've, I've always kind of liked this one, and I think there's a few talking about how to approach how to approach a feast. Um, 
you know, don't show up late for one thing. That's just kind of rude, kind of rude. And you shouldn't come to somebody's house starving to death. You know, you're about to pass out from hunger and then you get to the house because what happens is you just end up, you wolf down a bunch of food really fast and you don't really have a chance to talk and take in the conversation because ultimately a feast is, yeah, there's food there and you enjoy the food and you appreciate the food, but it's also a, a time to talk, I think, um, at our bloats. One of my favorite parts is the feast because, you know, everybody will sit down and we'll, we'll talk about things, we'll eat the food, we'll comment on the food. And it's nice the way that we do it because we all just eat and we talk and we have a good time, but no one's like starving to death and just shoveling down food so fast that they can't even think about what else is going on. Unless um, it's me. Well, unless it's you. No, I don't think you come to the... You don't come starving to death. And I you, try not to. I usually eat, but it is an hour drive, and then it's hours it later. It is, and then we hang out for a long time, and by the time well, we get into the feast, it's been a long <laughs> time since you've eaten. Yeah. But I will say that you, when we have our feast you still have conversations and you talk and we just, you know, talk about the food and, and... Well, the thing is, we are non-stop talking. Again, you can talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I really like our feasts because we get conversation in there as well. And, you know, we just had a bloat, so sometimes we'll bring that up or sometimes we'll just bring up friendly small talk or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's nice because... You know, if you come starving to death, you're not going to be able to focus on any conversation, and, and that kind of ruins the feast. Yeah. So, uh, let's move on to 34. Crooked and far is the road to a foe, though his house on the highway be. But wide and straight is the way to a friend, though far away he fare. I'm sure you have something to say about this. Uh, hmm... I'm I'm reading Hollanders here. Just going through it. I want to read Hollanders. Okay. To to false friends a a far way tis, though his roof be reared by the road. To staunch friends a a straight way leads, though far he have fared from thee. I think this is obviously not a response to physical uh, farness and closeness. It's it's right. more like friendliness and emotionalness, uh, closeness to people. Mm -hmm. uh, you do live quite a far away, but yes. we still continue to be very close friends. So, well, yeah, and I I was thinking about that. Um, my go the John before he retired the Tofbrock kindred, he was. <sighs> over two hours away. It was it was a solid... Well, it is two hours away, but it's it pretty solid two hours. But I never complained about that. I wasn't... Well, you know, sometimes I did. I was like, oh, man, the gas is killing me, as you will. But I never was like, oh, man, why don't we just get bloat this month? That's too far of a drive. I, You know, I always made it down there, and, and you guys always make it to my house, which I do very much appreciate. But then there'll be other people who I don't really like that much, and they're like 10 minutes out of my way, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I can make that drive, the traffic, <laughs> and, oh, parking, parking in Indianapolis is just hard to do. And, and you, 
you make the distance an excuse for people you don't like, and you don't necessarily do that for people that you do like. Um, and, you know, also, I think since we live in a digital age, this is now relevant. You know, like, we Skype pretty much every week, and I don't mm -hmm. mind doing that. I mean, we've got podcasts to do and everything, and I really don't mind doing that because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll Skype up lore and we'll talk about this and that'll be a good time. And it's not really something you mind. Whereas, you know, if it's somebody that I don't really like that much, I'm like, uh, you know, I'd have to sit down. I'd go to the computer. Sometimes I'm not even there. You know, I'm on Linux. Skype is all wonky. Uh, it's just it's just kind of a whole ordeal. I lose my whole night when I do a Skype call. And you start technologically you do the same thing you start making excuses for why you don't want to talk to the to the person so so yeah you know generally speaking the actual the actual obstacles in the way between a true friend and a false friend though they're technically the same obstacles they don't seem like big obstacles with a true friend and sometimes they seem like big obstacles with a false friend because you don't really want to see that person as much so I kind of think that's what it's getting at. All right, let's move on to 35. Forth shall one go, nor stay as a guest in a single spot forever. Love becomes loathing if long one sits by the hearth in another's home. Uh, this is a good stanza. Um, what's the... Cl I, I don't normally use cliches, but... Uh, uh, Guests and fish are the same. They both stink after three days, I think, is the thing I've heard before. You don't want to just stay at somebody else's house forever. You know, someone invites you over, and, and you stay, and maybe you spend the night. You don't just stick around till the next night, and the night after that, because... Uh, the other person doesn't want to be around you forever. As much as I love all of my friends, <laughs> I don't want them to stay for six days. You know, that's too much. And um, I think with good friends, you end up getting a really good idea of exactly when the best time to go is. Because, I mean, you guys always come over on, you know, Saturday. We do the bloat spend the night. Next morning we have breakfast, talk for a couple minutes and then you usually leave around there. Um, which is A couple nice. minutes leading to, you know, several hours well, sometimes. sometimes it's several hours. But <laughs> it's never to the point where it's Sunday night and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, a long drive home. Why don't I just stay here another night? <laughs> I've, I've never had that problem before, which which is good, whereas some other people can just kind of outstay their welcome. So the point here is don't just force yourself into somebody's house forever. Know the proper time to leave. Right, even though you were invited in doesn't mean you get to stay forever. Right, right, exactly. So that's just always good advice. I guess I will move on to 36. Sweet. We've done 10 then. Awesome. Yeah, I'm kind of watching the time. I I don't mind going, you know, a few minutes over, but I don't want to go over by like an hour. 
<laughs> All right, thirty-six. Better a house, though a hut it be, a man is master at home. A pair of goats and a patched-up roof are better far than begging. Mm-hmm. I like this one a lot. I don't think my house is a hut or a shack, but it's it's not perfect. It's a small house. Um, you know, it doesn't have every luxury available. It doesn't have central air, but I have air conditioners in it. It's like the stand-up kind. But it's really nice to own your own house or rent it from the bank, however you look at it. But it's really nice to have your own house, a place that you can call home, a place that you take care of. Because, you know, you're kind of the master of your own home. You make your own rules. You do your own thing. And I, I think that's important. Now, as a fellow homeowner, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, uh, home is a, is a person's castle. It's, it's where you reside and you are absolute ruler and lord of the land. Um, it's great to have that. If you were just to be a beggar on the street, you could have shelter from people. You could have food from people, but it's not the same. It's not the same as owning. Uh, even even renting a place is different than, I think, what they're referring to here, because I don't know if they had renting back then. Uh, as long as you have a place that you can call your own, uh, that is far better than to be just uh, jumping from couch to couch, I guess. Yeah. And I think they had something at least similar to renting and but yeah you're right owning a home and renting an apartment it is a big difference and i think you were talking recently about how you were doing some work on your house and think about the last time you really did major work on an apartment mm. it just doesn't feel like yours it because it isn't because it isn't i mean yeah i guess that's the reason it it's just it's not the same thing. It's it's very rewarding to fix up your own house, where it's not necessarily so rewarding to fix up an apartment, or even to maintain your own house. I mean, I complain about all the mowing I do, because <laughs> it's a lot of mowing. But I do feel good when I'm done mowing, and, you know, I look at the look at the grass. I'm like, oh, this is all nice and mowed. And we sit outside and we're like, oh, this is a nice mowed lawn. It just feels good. I yeah. actually felt really bad because last time I had you guys come over, I had the backyard done, but not the front yard because my lawnmower died on me. And I couldn't fix it. And I was like, oh, it just looks so bad now. Well, the thing is, uh, generally speaking, we don't really pay too much attention to the front of your house because, well, we don't park there. It's all the yeah. back of the house where we hang out. So I don't care. I didn't even notice it until we left. Oh, see, I do pay attention, and I, and I always... I like people to come into a nice mowed lawn. It's one of those things... You know, it's really little trivial things, but you still like saying, this is my house, and I'm I'm proud of what I'm able to do. And it doesn't have to be a mansion to do that. It just needs to be a house. Well, let's you know, hope your mower or mowers or whatever can be fixed so you can continue to have that feeling. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm hoping so. We're looking into the matter at the moment. I'm sure we'll be fine though. Goats. <laughs> you know I've thought about Oh see it says right here a pair of goats. I obviously yes. need a pair of goats. Yes. Alright. I think I'm gonna try to make it to forty, then we're probably gonna be done for today. 
Alright. I think most of these are about houses anyway. Um, the next one, 37. Better a house, though a hut it be. Wait. Yeah, it's the same thing. Okay, that always throws me off. Better a house, though a hut it be. A man is master at home. His heart is bleeding. Who needs must beg when food he when food he fain would have. This is sort of getting on or getting out what we already talked about. It's better to have your own place and work for your own money than be a beggar who is dependent on other people. Not to mm -hmm. say you shouldn't depend on other people at times. You know, maybe if you're having a hard time in your life, you borrow money from your friends or family. Or maybe you're having a hard time in life. You should go to your friends and talk about it and, and have them make it better. But what this is saying is it's it's hard to be a beggar. It's not good to be a beggar because your worth and your ability to live is based on other people and we want to be self-sufficient as much as possible so uh that's that's that and i think it is it's always a better feeling to be self-sufficient than have to rely on others yep. so we kind of touched on that so i'm going to move on to 38 away from his arms in the open field a man should should fare not afoot for never he knows when the need for a spear shall rise on the distant road. Okay, I'm going to ask you, it sounds to me like this is sort of getting at that, what that very first stanza was saying, you shouldn't have your weapons far away, you know, in an open field or whatever, because you never know when you're going to need your well, weapons. Yes, it's it's not an open field. I think that's a mistranslation because Hollander says, From his weapons away, no one should ever stir one step on the field. Oh, I like that better. Yeah, so it's just out in either the field of battle or just, you know, in general out. Mm. You don't be far away from your weapons. It's always okay. good to be prepared. Another preparedness statement. Yes, and I like that. I wonder why it's brought up here. Again, well, maybe we'll find out at the next one. Okay. Let's read 39. If wealth a man has won for himself, let him never suffer in need. Oft he saves for a foe what he plans for a friend, for much goes worse than we wish. Okay. Um, hmm. Does yours say anything different? I don't know if it's the same at all. So let me read 39, right? Okay, yeah. So free-handed never found I a man, but would gladly take what is given, nor of his goods so ungrudgingly ever to forego what is given him. Huh, those don't even seem similar, do they? Uh, I... No, they don't. It looks like 40 matches up, but 39 doesn't seem like they match up. Well, let's just look at yours and try to figure it out. And once we have an idea, I'll see if mine makes any sense. Hmm. So free-handed never found I a man. Okay, uh, so you never would, found a generous person. But would gladly take what is given. Let's see, 16, it says in return for his gifts. Oh, okay. So free-handed never have I found a guy who wouldn't 
exchange a gift for a gift, nor of his goods so grudgingly ever to forego what is given him. So who wouldn't, who would not give to get something back? Oh, okay. So no matter how generous somebody is, they're always willing to give and get something back. Right. And and just be willing to exchange. And be willing to exchange. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I still not quite getting what mine is saying. Well, if wealth if wealth a man has won for himself, all right, okay. I got I got stuff for me, right. but have never suffered in need. So you've done something for yourself. Don't you will never suffer in need because obviously you can do for yourself. Right. Oft he saves for a foe, while he plans for a friend. For much goes worse than he we wish. Ah, uh, he's actually you know he's say he's hoarding food for a friend. Yeah. Well, something bad has happened, and now he has to eat it. And the foe is, you know, hunger. Oh, I because guess... often things go worse than we wish. Okay, I, I suppose that makes sense. He's, you save something for a friend, and you don't get to give it to the friend, because something goes wrong and you need it for himself. Uh, they, they just seem so different. That, they do. That would be one where... I would like to see the original and be able to speak the language, which I can't. Uh, you know what? In, on your page, it says this stanza 39 follows stanza 40 in the manuscript. Oh, well, then why they move I don't it all know, around? because cause it is 41 in mine. But it looks like 39 doesn't exist at all in yours. So, I wonder... Oh, oh. No, wait, it shifted. Okay, so yeah. yeah let's let's read. Okay, 40 of mine says, None so free with gifts or food have I found, that gladly he took not a gift, nor one who so widely scattered his wealth, that of recompense hatred he had. So right. that's saying the same thing. There's right. nobody who's so free with gifts that they don't gladly take another gift. Right. I don't know why those are inverted. Don't know. That is bizarre, and I was really confused. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I get that now. Um, so thirty-nine in Hollander, forty in sacred texts, mm-hmm. is kind of getting at the idea: people are always willing to give a a gift for a gift, you know. And I think that makes sense. Even a rich person, you know, if if you're rich and I'm poor and you give me a gift, I think it's still nice for me to give you something back, even if you're a generous person. There's a big idea of the gifts being reciprocal. I give you something, you give me something. Um, And that's what really bonds people together. We may have already covered that a little in the Have or it may come up later, I don't remember. But they talk about gifts being given to each other to sort of cement friendships. And if only one party gives a gift, it doesn't really cement a friendship. And I suppose the warning is kind of, don't be like, oh, that guy doesn't want anything that I could give him because I'm poor. It's you, Or he has everything. People will still gladly take a gift because there's a lot of meaning behind that. Now, what does your 40 say? My 40 says what 41 
No. Yeah, I think 40 is 41 on yours. So my 40 says, Of his worldly goods, which he hath, he goth, gotten hath, let a man not stint over much. Oft is lavish on foe what his friend was saved, for matters oft go amiss. That so is that is 39. That's 39, I'm sorry. Okay, you're 40. Okay, so 39 and 40 were just flip-flopped. Yeah. Um... So now let's look at 39, now that we know it's not the same stanza. I guess we already kind of talked about that, didn't mm-hmm. we? It's, you know, if you save money for yourself, you shouldn't have to suffer a need. Hopefully you don't. But sometimes you plan to give somebody something, or you know, buy them a gift or whatever, but sometimes things go wrong, and you have to use what you had planned for somebody else on yourself. I suppose that's just kind of the nature of the world, isn't it? Yep. Sometimes you want to get whoever, you know, we've all been in a place where we wanted to get our significant others a really nice gift, and the car breaks down, and you have to get that instead. So, so yeah. Um, it, I suppose, I think we're going to be done with the stanzas for today. We're coming up to the hour, close enough anyway. Kind of a theme that seemed to be going over there with those last two and the house and all of that. You sort of have this idea that it is good to take care of yourself. It's better to have a house, even though it's not a nice one, than be a beggar. If you have wealth, you you shouldn't suffer a need. Of course, you should always give give gifts and and all of that. But there just seems to be in what we just read there kind of this idea of being self-sufficient. And I just want to emphasize the fact I think being self-sufficient is a really good idea. I don't mean a totally off-the-grid, you make your own power and you live out in the middle of the woods or something. If you want to do that, that's great. I think there's a lot of honor in living that way. But what I'm getting at is we shouldn't be people who mooch off of other people. We shouldn't be people that have other people do everything for us. There's actually a lot of joy in the pride you take in doing something on your own. Um, I know, Laura, you were talking about uh, how you were painting all your doors a week or so ago. And I think you'd say there is a lot of pride in that because you did something to make your life better and your house better, and you legitimately deserve to take pride in that, because there is pride in taking care of yourself and your possessions. So, you know, I think sometimes that gets underplayed. It's like, oh, it's just things. And it's like, well, yeah, technically it's just things, but that doesn't mean you can't be proud of the things that you have. You shouldn't obsess about them. You shouldn't think your life will be over if you lose your things. Nonetheless, you can still say, well, I made these things better. I put my will and my energy into these things, and I'm going to take pride in them. And I I think that's a a good attitude to have. So, um, any final thoughts or anything you wanted to say before we leave today? I don't believe so. I believe I'm good. All right. Sounds good. Well, I want to thank you, Lore, once again for being on the show. Always appreciate it and always good to talk to you. Not a problem. 
And for everybody out there, we'll do a show next month, so of course, get that. I would say you should all sign up for the RSS. I know a few people are just listening to it from their website. I do have an RSS feed right on the podcast page, which makes podcasts much easier to um, download and listen to. Other than that, please feel free to visit my website at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F. Org. If you had any questions, p- please feel free to email me at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com or just podcast at hugenhoff.org. Thank you once again for listening, and we will see you next month. Frau Hale. Frau Hale.